Well, good morning, everybody. Great to see you this morning. Thank you, team, for leading us um, so well this morning and helping us sing out the truth of our great God together and uh, come under his reign and his rule and look to have him speak into our lives by his word. We're going to continue in our series this morning in Philippians with some accompanying music. <laughs> so you might like to turn there uh, and have, uh, have your Bible open or your phone, uh, whatever you call it, switched on or something. Well, I don't know, you, many of you know that uh, I grew up in the country and um, that meant lots of really interesting experiences, but one of the experiences I remember quite clearly was, the ex- was experiencing the strange phenomena of mirages. Um, I remember driving along uh, the road, either into town or heading back to the farm or somewhere else, looking ahead down the gravel road or the bitumen road and seeing this water as a little kid and thinking, oh, there's water up there, there's water up there, I need to get there and... As you got close, it vanished. Um, happened over and over again, and I still don't understand what it is. I'm sure uh, some of us might be able to uh, explain to me the science of it later. But nevertheless, maybe you've seen it. Um, okay. I'm looking for my... There we go. Maybe you've seen it. This is actually... I didn't realise this is um, uh, at the Nullarbor village. Uh, that's a pretty good mirage. And maybe you've seen it at the beginning of movies, you know, you've always that classic scene of a guy kind of coming out of the desert, dying of thirst, and he's, oh, there's water, there's water, and he gets there only to find that uh, it's more desert. All along, he ends up with sand in his mouth. Uh, what he thought was there eludes him and is nowhere to be found. His hope of drinking deeply to quench his thirst proved to be elusive. Well, this morning, I want to suggest to you that as we live our lives, there are many things that we can discover over time are like mirages. They appear there and they only turn out to be elusive. Again and again, we might pursue them only to find out that they're nowhere to be found. And one of the big ones is this, contentment, contentment, that deep sense of contentedness deep at the core of who we are. I think it's fair to say that we all long for it. We wish we had it or at least more of it. We often try really hard to experience it. But equally as often, we end up like the dying man in the desert, finding it's elusive We think it's just there, and then it's not there. Maybe we ask the question, is deep, lasting, true contentment even possible in this life? Or is it just a mirage, an elusive reality that always is just out of reach? Is contentment the byproduct of something else? And if so, what is that something else? If contentment is the fruit of something, then what's at the root of it? And what about if our circumstances take a turn for the worse? What if we lose our job? What if we receive bad news from the doctor? What if we fail 
in a particular area or maybe fail many times in a particular area? What if we lose someone who's precious to us? What if we experience a serious and significant relational breakdown? What if we discover all of a sudden that people are speaking about us and sabotaging our reputation, maybe even spreading lies about us? What then? Does that mean contentment is no longer possible? Does that mean any contentment contentment that we might have had will all of a sudden just vanish? Well, our passage today has a lot to say about what true contentment is and what it looks like, where it flows from, and what that means for us. So have a look at Philippians chapter 4. We're going to be reading from verses 10 to 13. And let's see what God's word has to say for us today about contentment. Philippians 4 verse 10. Paul writes, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have received your concern for me. So you revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger. Abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me or through him who strengthens me. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning and this is an important matter for us because we're often discontented. We often lack contentment. And it makes a lot of difference to our lives of following you of our joy in you, of our witness to you, of our glorifying of you. It makes a lot of difference to our good and your glory. And so we ask that you would speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, I want to suggest to you that there are two things we see here in this passage about deep and lasting contentment. Two things that make it actually possible for us in this life. And the first is this. Contentment comes as we rejoice in Jesus, not in our circumstances. As we rejoice in Jesus, not in our circumstances. And we see that here in Paul, don't we? I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, now at length, that you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned, but you had no opportunity. Let's not forget Paul's circumstances or his situation from which he writes those lines. Where is he? He's in prison. He's most likely chained to a Roman guard. He has no income source other than Gifts, perhaps, that he receives occasionally, periodically, with long times in between, financial gifts from other believers. He is not free to move about. He's been in this predicament for some two long years. 
He is facing trial before none less than Caesar himself and he's staring down the barrel at possible execution and all of that because he's a follower of Jesus. Clearly his circumstances are neither ideal, let alone idyllic. They're tough. And yet, did you notice how he responds amongst all this? Verse 1, I rejoiced in the Lord or in Jesus greatly or intensely. The word here for greatly is the word that we get our word mega from. It means big, right? Huge. I rejoiced in Jesus hugely. That's what he says. What's happened for him to be rejoicing in this way? Well, the Philippians, not by electronic funds transfer, but by good old Epaphroditus, have sent him a gift. It's a long journey from Philippi to Rome. Epaphroditus has come and he's come with this gift from the Philippian church for Paul. And for Paul, this is a cause of intense rejoicing in Jesus. But do you notice what he's not rejoicing in? He's not primarily rejoicing in the Philippians who have sent the gift. He's rejoicing in the Lord. He's rejoicing in Jesus. He is definitely not rejoicing in the gift that they have sent, though he's thankful for it. He's not rejoicing in finally finding out that the Philippians actually care for him by virtue of this gift. He tells them, he says, you, you, you always were concerned, you just didn't have an opportunity to express it. So he's known their concern all the way along. He's not even re- rejoicing in being relieved of his desperate need or his significant lack. Notice what he says in verse 11. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content Now, if he's not rejoicing in all of those things, what is he rejoicing in? Well, a couple of things. Firstly, he's rejoicing in Jesus at work in their generosity and care towards him. What he's doing is he's attributing everything about his relationship with the Philippian church to Jesus. It's how it started. He came, he proclaimed Jesus in Philippi. God opened people's hearts. A church was born. And ever since that day, as he says, from the first day until right up until now, he's had this partnership in the gospel with them. They've been brought together by the gospel. They're both being shaped by it, both Paul and the Philippians. The gospel is powerfully shaping them and changing them and growing them. They're united in it. They've been brought together in it and they're united in advancing it, taking it to others. Their gospel partnership and gospel giving, Paul sees, is because Jesus, King Jesus, risen, reigning Lord Jesus, is at work in them. And so when this gift arrives, he says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly because this gift is evidence that he's at work in them. That's what he's rejoicing in, the power of Christ at work in his people, producing uncanny generosity. 
Not only that, he's rejoicing in Jesus at work, sovereignly and graciously caring for him. He doesn't see his circumstances in any way as a sign that Jesus must have abandoned him. Did you see that? He's sitting in that prison cell and though his situation is no doubt intensely difficult and he's not denying reality. He hasn't got this kind of pious thing going on. I'll just trust in Jesus. It's not painful. It doesn't hurt me at all because I'm trusting in Jesus. No, it's incredibly painful, but he's depending on Jesus. And he's clearly at the same time as he sits in that that prison cell convinced that Jesus is both sovereign and kind. That he's good and that he's kind, that he's sovereign sovereign over his circumstances as hard as they are and he's good to him in those circumstances as hard as they are. So when this gift arrives, what does he see? He sees the sovereign and good hand of God caring for him in his suffering. And so he rejoices in Jesus. And there's more. He also rejoices in Jesus, who's at work producing deep contentment in him. The contentment's easy, right? When there's no struggle. It's probably, to be honest, we'll get to it, but it's probably false contentment, but it feels like contentment. Okay? Paul says in verse 11, Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned. I have learned in whatever situation I am in, I am to be content. Isn't that encouraging? Does that encourage you? That the Apostle Paul himself says, I'm a work in progress on this one. (laughs) This issue of contentment, I have learned. (laughs) It's taken a while. And I'm probably still going to have it tested, but I have learned. Far from his circumstances being a sign of Jesus abandoning him, it's actually the context in which Jesus is transforming him. And for Paul... This is a reason for joy and mega joy. It kind of reminds me of James chapter 1. I don't know whether it does to you. You know that classic verse. I remember uh, when Richard Souter, who's, off, who's part of us here, uh, first read it to me when he was deciphering me as a new Christian. He, I was drive, we were driving along and I'm complaining away and, he's, and he gets out the book of James and, he's, and he just reads out, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials of many kinds. I pulled the car over. I'm like, give me that. That's not in there. You just made that up. No, it's in there, all right? It's in there. Does James say consider the trial joy? No, he doesn't. What are we supposed to consider all joy? What Jesus is going to do in our lives in that trial. That's the reason for joy. And Paul rejoices in Jesus who is at work sovereignly caring for him, at work producing generosity in the Philippians, and at work growing him in contentment. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, he says. 
Not in his circumstances. Not in his circumstances. Contentment comes as we rejoice in Jesus, not in our circumstances. Friends, part of that growing up on a farm was uh, sitting every night after bath time and dinner time as a little kid. I still remember one of the things I looked forward to the most, and I've maybe told you this before, um, was running out into the lounge to where Dad was watching TV and jumping up and sitting on his lap, leaning back into his chest. Still, it's vivid, that experience, in my mind. Not a care in the world as a five-year-old or a four-year-old. I believed at that stage there was nothing my dad couldn't do. And I told people as much, as they told me the same about their dads. And I was in his care. Now the truth, of course, is that like all dads, he had many limitations. There was lots of things he couldn't do and lots of things like me as a dad, he didn't do well. But friends, our God has none. When it comes to limitations, he has none. Father, Son and Holy Spirit, he has none. No limitations. There is nothing he cannot do. And if you've put your trust in him, you are in his care. He is sovereign and he is good. He is sovereign and he is good. That's how Paul sees him here in this passage, doesn't he? Do we? Do you? Do I? When life doesn't go the way we would like it to, when our circumstances become difficult and in some cases excruciating, do we believe at that point that Jesus is sovereign over us and at work in us? Do we believe that he is both sovereign and good? And before you answer that, think about this question. What's the alternative? What's the alternative? Either he's not sovereign, he's not in control, he's lost control, and he can't help you even if he wanted to. That's if he's not sovereign. Or worse, if he's not good, he might be powerful, but he doesn't care. He is both sovereign and good. When circumstances come that are tough, it's not an indication that he's abandoned you. It may be that he's going to be even more at work in you in those circumstances. Something else that's clear in this passage is that gospel partnership and Christian giving or generosity all comes from the power of the gospel in our lives, doesn't it? All our giving and generosity and serving is about gospel partnership. 
It flows from the power. Of the, how did these Philippians end up with this kind of generosity to, to gather up some fun and then for Epaphroditus to risk his life, by the way, taking this trek through you know, bandit-infested areas and all the rest of it with this loot you know, for Paul? Uh, how did, how did they, why did they do that? That's not natural. Why don't they just bank it and think, oh, well, someone will look after Paul in Rome? Let's just you know, stash the cash and do something else with it. Because the gospel had caused them to be generous in extraordinary ways, in risky ways, in costly ways. And so it's important for us to think about our giving and our serving and our generosity. Is it flowing from the Lordship of Jesus our Saviour and King, in our lives? Is he changing us so that we'll let go of things that we might have otherwise hung on to and give and serve? Have we become partners in the gospel with others? Are we focused on advancing it? This is what happens when Jesus is at work in us. And so... The question, of course, is that happening for you? Is that why you serve and give? Are you rejoicing in Jesus in such a way because he has set you free from things to give and serve? Or are you trying to find joy and contentment in your circumstances? It's not an uncommon problem. It's a human problem. I'm not going to answer for you, but I have a fair guess that at least some of the time you are because at least some of the time I am. And when we try and find contentment and joy in our circumstances, you know what happens? We become enslaved to our circumstances or at least the ones we want. And we end up trying to create them or control them or both. With everything we have, with every fibre of our being, we've got to bring these circumstances about because my contentment and my joy depends on it. Contentment comes as we rejoice in Jesus and not in our circumstances. The second thing we discover here about contentment is this. It comes as we rest in Jesus, no matter our circumstances. As we rest in Jesus, no matter our circumstances. See, not only do we see Paul rejoicing in Jesus, we see him relying on Jesus or resting in Jesus in the circumstances. Do you see that? We've got that classic verse in verse 13, right? You've heard it many times, I'm sure. Maybe you've bought a cup with it on the side or given a card and it's inside. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's important to say this is probably one of the most misinterpreted verses in the whole New Testament. Just Just to clear you up on it, it doesn't mean you can jump tall buildings in a single bound through Jesus. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that you will have a successful business through him who strengthens you. It doesn't mean that you are guaranteed of healing through him who strengthens you. It doesn't mean a lot of things that people try to make it mean. 
So what does it mean? Well, verse 12 answers that question for us. This is what it meant for Paul. Have a look there. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And now it comes, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. As he continues the theme of deep and lasting commitment, there's actually a bit of a surprise in those verses. Did you see it? He describes contrasting circumstances in which he has learned contentment. Did you see what they are? Being brought low and abounding. Hang on a minute. Facing plenty and facing hunger. I thought having plenty was contentment. Being in need. And having abundance. In any and every circumstance I have learned to be content. Isn't that surprising? Paul describes needing to learn contentment in all of these situations. In other words, need isn't the only threat to our contentment. You see that? Abundance is too. It's not only facing hunger that could see us discontented. Facing plenty can as well. And in our part of the world, unlike maybe some of the video that we saw today, it's more likely to be facing plenty or having abundance that produces discontentment in us. Our challenge to joyful confidence and deep contentment is not need, often, but abundance. And like Paul, for us to navigate that, we need desperately him who strengthens us. You see, we can turn need, sorry, abundance, into a new array of idols that we bow down to and need to have. And once we've got them, then we need to have more. And then we need to have more. And then we need to have more. Because until we have more or until we get this amount, we won't be content. And when we, when we do get that amount, then we need to have more because contentment is like that elusive mirage that keeps slipping out of our reach when we get more. Not about abundance. We need God's transforming grace here, friends. Changing us at the level of the heart, at the level of our desires and our longings, that we might long for him when we're in need and when we have plenty. Proverbs 37 to 9, I remember preaching on this a number of years ago and it just felt weird. I don't think I've preached on it since. Two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. Do you hear the desperation in the writer? Please, Lord, give me these two things, if nothing else, before I die. What are they? Remove me far from falsehood and lying. They keep me truthful and full of integrity. Look at the next one. Give me neither poverty nor riches. 
What? I thought riches were good. No? Give me neither poverty. I, can get, I get that. Yeah, I don't want to be poor. But a house in, on a marina? Don't give me that. Boat and a car and a caravan and you know, all the rest of it. He's not saying don't give me that, but he's saying don't give me too much of that because I know my heart. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. That is just look at, give me basic what I need. Why? Lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of our God. Wow. That's a bit like my James verse. Give me that. Is that in the Bible? <laughs> Give me neither poverty nor riches. Neither of those extremes are good, for, are good for me. And if I'm going to navigate them, man, I need, I need Christ to be at work in me. Because otherwise, it's not going to be good. I potentially can end up denying the Lord. And if I'm in the other situation, which in our part of the world I'm probably not going to be, I'll get bitter and profane his name. Paul says, I can do all things, all circumstances, whether need or abundance, through Jesus, who strengthens me. That is how I can navigate this. That's how I can do it. I can remain deeply content, whether I have abundance or whether I don't. I can face hunger or face plenty. The way he talks about it, it's like they're both threats. Hunger's a threat, plenty's a threat. In every, any and every circumstance, through Christ and friends, only through Christ. You, you will not navigate this effectively and fruitfully without his strength. You just won't. If Paul couldn't, I'm pretty sure I've got no chance. Pretty sure. So that's an invitation for you to humble yourself and to put your hand up and say, I'm in need. I'm in need here because there is idolatry all around me and I will bow down without the power of Christ. Speaking of idolatry, some of you know I've been watching um, some YouTubers. Uh, there are a couple that's called Trip in a Van. Maybe you've seen it. They're fairly well-known. Um, and I do confess I have been binging. Um, I think I've watched all of their videos. Michelle said to me last night, is there any that you haven't watched yet? Yeah, I don't think so. They're due to bring another one out. It's like two weeks since the last one. They're a young couple. They decided, the three little kids, they decided to sell up their house. They're not Christians. Decided to sell up their house, buy a caravan and a, and a four-wheel drive and just take off. They've been travelling around Australia for five years now, getting progressively more and more sponsors. Uh, they've, they've actually now got... Um, what do you call it? Merchandise. Yeah, it's a whole industry. They've got 140,000 to 25,000 subscribers on YouTube and all the rest of it. And they're getting more and more flashier vehicles as they go through. Um, I've been watching them. You know, I, I tell myself it's because I've got long service leave due. That's, that's, that's why I need to watch them. <laughs> Having said that, they are actually helpful for preparing for any journey that you might make. And I've been happy to recommend them to other people. Because it's obvious, right, when you take a journey... There are certain preparations you should make, particularly one of those kinds of journeys. Certain things you need to have if you're going to reach that destination. You don't just hook up the caravan and jump in the car and go. 
Because when the terrain gets rough, you may well be seen by hundreds and hundreds of others who are no longer travelling overseas and doing it in Australia instead, that you're a fool because you didn't prepare and you're stuck. It's a no-brainer. As followers of Jesus, there is a clear destination that we're heading towards. Philippians calls it the day of Jesus Christ. The day of Jesus. But we're not there yet. And there are serious challenges along the way for us. Our circumstances may vary drastically. We, have, we may have abundance and we may be in need. And for us to remain focused, we need to be prepared. All that means, according to Paul, a life strengthened consistently by Jesus. That's what it looks like. A life that is only possible through him. A life that rests in Jesus and relies on Jesus no matter our circumstances. Because they will change. Pretty sure you've uh, come across that fact. Circumstances change. How are you going with that? How are changing circumstances, circumstances in your life affecting you? Do you seek to navigate your way through them strengthened by Jesus? Or do you just grit your, tree, your teeth and kind of white-knuckle it, try harder and go harder? Or the other option is put up the white flag, surrender and fall in a heap. And I say to you just respectfully, if, respectfully, if you're trying to just white-knuckle it and do harder and go harder, you won't do it. You don't have it in you. You need the strengthening of Jesus. You're never meant to do it like that. What about the empty promises of the world that continually promise contentment but never deliver? How are you going with them? They're like a mirage. Elusive, always just out of reach. Enough is never enough. The dream marriage, that'll do it. There's only one problem, as one of the books we use for marriage preparation says in its title, when sinners say, I do. Right? Two sinners are there saying, I do. That's probably going to mean there might be a few bumps along the way. So if you're looking for contentment in a dream marriage, hmm, even the best of them. What about the dream family? Only problem was when sinners say, I do, they produce the next generation of sinners. So that may or may not go well. What happens when it doesn't go well? Is contentment completely gone? Is it possible for you to have contentment at that stage? What about your forever home? That'll do it. If I can get my forever home, what does that even mean, forever? Right? It's your forever home until you see someone else's forever home that's nicer than your forever home. Then you want their forever home. What about your dream body? Just three more kilos. If I can lose just three more kilos, add another inch to the biceps. You know, just one less, what do they call it? Is it skin roll? I don't know. Where they measure them. 
I was going to ask someone who knew before I preached, but that's okay, I didn't get around to it. You know what I'm talking about, right? Maybe just one, one more ab. There's got to be another one in there somewhere, right? I've got four sticking out. Is there another one? Maybe I can find it. Then I'll be content. Oh no, what about these wrinkles? Where are they coming from? I didn't, see, didn't expect them. Oh, there's more of them. Oh, and there's more. And my eyesight's not even that good and I can still see them. Your dream holiday. Well, COVID kind of settled that one. Unless it was in Australia that you wanted to have your dream holiday, and particularly in WA, then you'd be fine. You can still hold on to that contentment. Your, your dream retirement. Well, until you realise your super's too low. Or you've got that pain in your right side, in your abdomen, and maybe it's bad, going to be bad news at the doctor. What about my dream retirement then? All promises of contentment. But in the end, shifting sand. How are you going with the challenge of abundance and plenty? <laughs> Do you even see it as a threat? Your soul, seedbed of idolatry. See how much you need the power of Christ? And you didn't even realize it? I, yeah. But you see, you can navigate this through him. And isn't that wonderful? Even though there are pitfalls everywhere, even though there are traps in every, every, every way, whatever way you turn, he's the one constant. Paul says, I'm confident that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus. Oh, that's how we get there. That's how we navigate it. How's you, how are you going with contentment? Is it tied to your circumstances? Jesus wants to grow you in contentment. For his glory and for your good. In his kindness and grace, he wants you to learn to be content in any and every circumstance. He invites us today, strengthened by him. I'm going backwards. I don't know where I'm things. Through him who strengthens me. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, thank you so much that you don't leave us to ourselves because if you did, we would probably wander off and stray in all sorts of different directions. But we thank you that you are the good shepherd, that you come after us as your sheep, that your spirit continues to work in us and you give us your word to realign our hearts to call us towards you and towards trusting in you and being strengthened by you, being sustained by you no matter what happens. Father, we pray that we might find our deep contentment not in our circumstances, but in you, Lord Jesus, sovereign and good. We ask this in your name. Amen.